Uh, the scripture reading will be Judges 6, 7 through 12. It's uh, Judges 6, chapter 6, verses 7 through 12. <clears throat> and when it came to pass, when the children of Israel cried out to the Lord because of the Midianites, that the Lord sent a prophet to the children of Israel who said to them, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, I brought you up from Egypt and brought you out of the house of bondage. And I delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians, and out of the hand of all who oppressed you, and drove them out before you, and gave you their land. I also said to you, I am the Lord your God. Do not fear the gods of the Amorites, in whose land you dwell, but you have not obeyed my voice. Now the angel of the Lord came and sat under the ter terebinth tree, which was in Ophrah, which belonged to Joash, the absentrite. While his son Gideon threshed wheat in the winepress in order to hide it from the Midianites, and the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, you mighty man of valor. Good evening. Thankful for another opportunity to be together this Lord's Day. We invite you to be taking out your Bibles and studying along with us. We're going to be studying from Judges chapter 6 in just a moment is where we will begin. We, if you are visiting with us or if you have, not been, have been unable to be with us the past few Sundays, in the evenings we have been going through a series of lessons from the book of Judges. And what the book of Judges is really a kind of a picture of our society in a lot of ways. That of people who have compromised, who have not been serving God faithfully. The book of Judges tells of the people of God and how they have been unfaithful. How those compromises led to further unfaithfulness. How they were not taking a hold of the promises that God had given to them. The Israelites, they were supposed to be living in the land of promise and enjoying all the blessings and the benefits of having God with them. And a God who cleared out the land and gave them this land, as the prophet there in, we read about in Judges chapter 6, came to the children of Israel and told them that it's God who has brought you out of slavery, who brought you out of Egypt. He's given you this land, but you have not obeyed. God. Nothing was going according to plan, as we might say. And so the book of Judges shows this cycle of sin and disobedience and compromise, apathy, unfaithfulness, and apostasy. The people of God were not enjoying the benefits and the blessings that God had really and originally intended for the people. And so really the book of Judges could be given this subtitle, Life Without God as King. That they are not submitting to God. And as we see, as, as you continue to read throughout the book of Judges, and as we continue our study, we're going to see that very clearly. That this just spirals into chaos. That the people of Israel did not obey God, and it came with some ramifications. The promised land was supposed to be enjoying this 
time. The people of Israel were supposed to be enjoying this time in the promised land as a great blessing. But now they are enslaved. It's a time of heartache and turmoil due to Israel's own making. And so God appointed judges like Othniel and Ehud and Shamgar and Deborah. And we don't have time to focus on every single judge. I wish we did. That would be a really good study. But we're going to try to just pick and and choose a few. And so last week we looked at Shamgar, uh, a little known uh, judge. There's only a couple of verses about him, but I believe there's some lessons that we can learn from him and his example. And this week we're going to look at Gideon. The man Gideon, as we are introduced to him, he is there threshing wheat in order to hide it from the Midianites so that the Midianites do not get this. And then somewhat ironically, as the angel of the Lord appears to him, he addresses him as this valiant warrior, this mighty man. This man who is spending his days hiding from the enemy. Here, the angel of the Lord appears to him and addresses him as someone who is going to lead the children of Israel in battle. And this story of Gideon does not play out as one might expect. I'm sure many of you are familiar with the story of Gideon. And so we're going to be looking at the chapters that follow here in chapter 6 and 7 and 8 to look at the story of Gideon and how God worked through Gideon to deliver Israel in some very fascinating and some intriguing ways that do not seem to fit our way of thinking. And the story of Gideon presents lessons of faith, overcoming doubt, and God's power to make the weak strong. Gideon presents lessons for us, I think, in a lot of ways about leadership. How we need to look at at Gideon as a leader, and that's how we're going to be framing many of the points that we make tonight. In fact, all of them are going to be surrounded this idea of leadership and what it means to be a godly leader. And that doesn't mean that it's just for the men. So, you ladies don't get to get off the hook or anything like that tonight. This is just about what it is to serve God and to follow Him. And so we're going to look at the story of Gideon tonight. I hope you will take out your Bibles and be turning to the book of Judges in the six chapters where we're going to be picking up here with the story of Gideon. As the context, as we have already set the context in our reading, the children of Israel, they are enslaved here by the Midianites. They have brought their oppression against Israel. And the angel of Yahweh appeared to Gideon, and Gideon is out there threshing wheat out of the wine press, and the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon and addresses him as this valiant warrior, this mighty man. And it's interesting as you continue to see this discussion play out between the angel of the Lord and Gideon, it says in verse 13, Then Gideon said to him, O my Lord, if the Lord is with us, Why then has all this happened to us? And where are all His miracles which our fathers told us about, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and given us into the hand of Midian. 
You can tell that Gideon is a little annoyed and a little aggravated, isn't he? That he is annoyed that God is not doing anything. That here are the children of Israel. They are enslaved. They are living in fear of the Midianites. And here is this angel that has appeared to Gideon and Gideon's like, okay, I'm glad you're here because I have a bone to pick with you. (laughs) I have something to say. I need to get it off my chest. And he's saying, where is God? Why has He abandoned us? Why is He not doing anything to help us? And you could, if you're this angel, if you're God, you might almost be tempted to, well, let me put it this way. If I were God and someone spoke to me like that, they probably wouldn't be living for very much longer. (laughs) Thankfully, I'm not God. Because God is very patient with Gideon. In verse 14, the Lord looked at him and said, Go, in this your strength, and deliver Israel from the hand of Midian. Have I not sent you? The Lord is not deterred by any of Gideon's protests. And he continues on in verse 15. He said to him, O Lord, how shall I deliver Israel? Behold, my family is the least in Manasseh, and I am the youngest in my father's house. But the Lord said to him, Surely I will be with you, and you shall defeat Midian as one man. That you see Gideon here, that God has come to Gideon and he's chosen him to lead. Even though Gideon is the youngest in his family, he comes from a small tribe. Greatness is not something you would expect from this man. It might remind us a little bit of the story of David. And yet, it's going to be Gideon. And God is affirming repeatedly in this text that you are this valiant warrior. You are someone who's going to show us what might and strength and valor are. You're going to show us what obedience to God will look like. You're going to show us what loyalty is. God is choosing Gideon. And He says, you will have strength and you will deliver Israel from the hand of Midian. And I am the one who have sent you. That I will be with you is what God says. You shall defeat Midian. The Lord is very clear that Gideon is, he may not have been born great, but he is going to learn what greatness is. And I think that's such an important lesson for us to think about as we try to think and process and understand what godly leadership is really all about. It's not about someone who's born great. It's about someone who learns to trust in God. It's about someone who relies on their faith and trusting in what God is capable of doing. Greatness and godly leaders can be found from the unlikeliest of places. And here what we see in Gideon is that Gideon has to overcome some doubts about himself, about what 
God is capable of doing? Remember that He has said, he has said that God has abandoned us. But He is having to learn here. And that is just a point that continues to be reinforced as you study this text. But I want to jump to the book of Hebrews in the 11th chapter for just a moment. In Hebrews chapter 11, in that chapter of men and women of faith who have believed in God and have dedicated their life to serving God and that had to overcome certain things and certain scenarios and trials and difficulties, even sins and weaknesses that they had. Gideon is just like that because in Hebrews chapter 11 and in verse 32, the Hebrew writer, after he has talked about all these different people of faith for about 30 verses, in verse 32, he says, And what more shall I say? Trust me, a preacher can always say more. I'm surprised I didn't get an amen on that. But and what more shall I say? For time will fail me if I tell of Gideon. Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, and Samuel, and the prophets. And we see that Gideon is considered this great hero of faith. Someone who is looked at and looked upon with some esteem. But as we see here, the beginning of Gideon's story shows that Gideon was not patiently waiting for the Lord to do some great thing to deliver Israel. He was disappointed. He was annoyed that God had abandoned them. So it seemed. And that doesn't seem like someone of great faith, does it? And what you learn as you continue on through the story of Gideon is that he is someone who learned faith. He learned faith. He learned greatness. He learned valor. He learned to become this mighty man. And so you might be thinking, well, Preacher, you know, I'm not a leader. I'm not someone who could ever do anything. I can't, I'm not someone who is special. I have no talent. That might be who you are today. Let's just grant that for a moment. Maybe that is you today. But what are you going to be like in a year from now? Or in five years from now? Are you going to be at the same place that you are today? If you think you might be, you might want to read the story of Gideon. Because leaders have to overcome doubts. They have to overcome things that might be holding them back. And what the Bible does, it does not hide the flaws, sins, and weaknesses of its heroes. Faith is a choice. And that is something that Gideon makes. That's a choice that he makes to become a hero of faith. To become someone that we can look to, who overcame his doubts and his weaknesses and some of the hesitancies that he might have had. That this man, Gideon, was simply threshing wheat and hiding. But he is going to become someone who is a valiant warrior, and God saw that in him. And you continue in Judges chapter 6, and in verse 17, it says, So Gideon said to him, If now I have found favor in your sight, then show me a sign that it is you who speak with me. As if it's not amazing enough that an angel just appears and speaks to him. He's like, let me ask a sign. And again, this is something as I read this, I'm kind of frustrated for God, you know, a little bit. 
God, why are you dealing with Gideon? He doesn't seem to even want you. He seems a little annoyed that you're even there talking to him. But God's not annoyed. The Lord is not annoyed by Gideon. Gideon goes on in verse 18, Please do not depart from here until I come back to you and bring out my offering and lay it before you. And he said, I will remain until you return. Then Gideon went in and prepared a young goat and unleavened bread from an ephah of flour. He put the meat in a basket and the broth in a pod and brought them out to him under the oak and presented them. The angel of God said to him, Take the meat and the unleavened bread and lay them on this rock and pour out the broth. And he did so. Then the angel of the Lord put out the ends of the staff that was in his hand and touched the meat and the unleavened bread and fire sprang up from the rock and consumed the meat and the unleavened bread. Then the angel of the Lord vanished from his sight. When Gideon saw that he was the angel of the Lord, he said, Alas, O Lord God, for now I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. The Lord said to him, Peace to you. Do not fear, you shall not die. Then Gideon built an altar there to the Lord and named it, The Lord is Peace. To this day, it is in Ophrah of the Abizarites. It took this process where he saw a miracle happen that for Gideon to finally say, Okay, it's you. It's you, Lord. It took this sign, and it was going to take another sign. Later on in the story, and as Gideon is preparing to face the enemy, later on in chapter 6 and in verse 36, you'll remember the sign of the fleece, I'm sure. Then Gideon said to God, If you will deliver Israel through me as you have spoken, behold, I will put a fleece of wool on the threshing floor. If there is dew on the fleece only, and it is dry on all the ground, then I will know that you will deliver Israel through me as you have spoken. So Gideon, he asked for another sign. Let me put out the fleece. And let only dew be found on the fleece and let the ground be dry. And God is very patient with Gideon. He performs the sign just as Gideon requested. And if that wasn't enough, then Gideon just asks for that sign to be reversed. <laughs> let the fleece be dry and let the ground have all this dew. And nothing in this text indicates that God was annoyed with Gideon for asking these things. And the Bible confirms that he is a hero of faith. You may be thinking, well, that's not, that doesn't sound like a great hero. That doesn't sound like someone who has this uh, vast amounts of faith. But what the scriptures indicate to us is that faith requires proof and evidence. In Hebrews chapter 11 and in verses 1 through 3, the Hebrew writer says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it the men of old gained approval. By faith we understand that the worlds were prepared by the Word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things which are visible. What 
may come as a shock to many people is that faith doesn't mean that it's a blind... Faith as the Bible presents it. It's not a blind faith. That faith is something that uses evidence and proof. And we look at the evidence, we look at the proof, and we come to a conclusion. That we think through it. There's a process of thinking and learning and we accept it. It's not just this blind following that, okay, I'm going to believe it just because it simply says it. It's that we are going to believe even when we have to overcome doubts, when we have to overcome struggles and weaknesses and even some maybe bad attitudes like Gideon had. That we have to go through this process of learning And godly leaders, they have to go through that even themselves. Heroes of faith have to go through that. Everybody has to go through that kind of process at some point. Gideon had to overcome his doubts and his hesitancies. He did not see how God could use him. He must have thought, surely God could find someone greater, better, and mightier than me. Gideon must have thought it can't be me. Let someone else do it. Kind of like Moses did at first. And maybe you think the same thing about yourself and your talents, your abilities. You think, you know, there's no way I could ever teach a Bible class or there's no way that I could ever present a sermon or teach. And that there's no way that I could ever help someone or say something that would help encourage another person. Let me tell you, God can use you. God can work through you. And if you've ever had the same kinds of doubts about yourself as Gideon had about himself, then you need to pay attention tonight. You need to think about the story of Gideon. And you need to realize that God can use you because godly leaders have to overcome their doubts and their struggles, their sins even from time to time. In the book of 1 Timothy, in 1 Timothy chapter 5, in the book of 1 Timothy in the 5th chapter, as the Apostle Paul was writing to Timothy, he told him how to deal with a certain situation. And that was if an elder in the church sinned. In 1 Timothy chapter 5 and in verse 19, he says, Do not receive an accusation against an elder except on the basis of two or three witnesses. Those who continue in sin rebuke in the presence of all so that the rest also will be fearful of sinning. Paul doesn't tell Timothy, Hey, elders in the church, they're leaders, they're going to be perfect. (laughs) He doesn't say that, does He? What He says is you need to treat them in such a way that is respectful and that you don't go falsely accusing them. But there is this underlying principle that elders in the church aren't perfect. They might make mistakes and they will make mistakes. They might even have a bad attitude. They will mess up. The same is true about preachers or deacons or anybody. And the point is that leaders have to overcome 
struggles and doubts and sins because they are waging the very same battle that all of us are fighting. He says in verse 24, the sins of some men are quite evident. Going before them to judgment for others, their sins follow after. Likewise, also deeds that are good are quite evident and those which are otherwise cannot be concealed. We're all engaged in this warfare. In this battle. And when someone who does evil, usually we're quick to jump on them. But when, what about when they do things right? Are we quick to praise them? Maybe you think about leaders in our worship assembly. We need men who might engage in worship, who lead us in singing or in prayer. God can use you. You may only see your doubts or your failures, but God sees your potential. And that's what you learn here at the outset of the story of Gideon. The Lord is with you, O valiant warrior. God saw what Gideon could become. Bible class teachers. We need Bible class teachers. I've never known a church that had more than enough Bible class teachers that started turning teachers away. I've never seen that ever. <laughs> we need teachers. We need men and women who will teach and engage and, and be involved. And maybe with just a little bit of prodding, you can become someone who is a great teacher and be capable of great things. We don't need to be offended if we're asked to teach or preach. Consider it a compliment that you're someone that people would be willing to listen to and that they think they could learn from you. But if you've ever held back, the story of Gideon is a story for you. And then we also learn in the story of Gideon a second thing. And that... Leaders have to do hard things. Leaders clean house when necessary. In the book of Judges, in Judges chapter 6, in Judges chapter 6, after Gideon builds this altar and worships the Lord and recognizes Him, it says in verse 25, in Judges chapter 6 and verse 25, now on the same night, the Lord said to him, Take your father's bull and a second bull seven years old and pull down the altar of Baal which belongs to your father and cut down the Asherah that is beside it and build an altar to the Lord your God on the top of this stronghold in an orderly manner and take a second bull and offer a burnt offering with the wood of the Asherah which you shall cut down. Then Gideon took ten men of his servants and did as the Lord had spoken to him. And because he was too afraid of his father's household and the men of the city to do it by day, he did it by night. Here you see that Gideon does something hard. And you see that he's still having to overcome that fear that he has. Those doubts that might be holding him back. But he's obedient to God. That God tells him, 
You need to go and you need to tear down the altars to the idols that are in your father's house, in your own family. You think about that. Sometimes what we are quick to do, we're quick to make excuses for our family, aren't we? We're quick to try to run interference. No, I don't want you to do anything to, to a family. But God calls Gideon and He says, the first person you have to go and oppose is your dad. You need to clean up Israel, but it's going to start with your own household. That's an important lesson for us right there. And what Gideon does, he goes and he doesn't. He is very choosy on when he goes and does it. text indicates that he was afraid. But he obeyed God completely. It says in verse 28, When the men of the city arose early in the morning, behold, the altar of Baal was torn down, and the asher which was beside it was cut down, and the second bull was offered on the altar which had been built. They said to one another, Who did this thing? And when they searched about and inquired, they said, Gideon, the son of Joash, did this thing. He didn't do a half-hearted job. They quickly found out who it was. But I think this indicates something about matters of sin and idolatry. Whenever you see something that is done that's wrong, you need to go and fix it. You don't wait around. You do it in a timely manner. You go and you take care of things. When there are matters that are black and white about serving God and worshiping Him, there's no room for compromise. Especially in a generation where they only know how to compromise. On matters of truth, of marriage and divorce, or or whether we need to have instruments in worship, we need to be a people who stand for the truth. There's no room for compromise. There's no room for talking about how to do it. We have to clean the house and it better start with our own house. There's only time for action. We need men who will be brave and courageous and tear down our idols. Gideon had to tear down the idol that belonged to his own father. This was personal. That was a decision that must have been hard for Gideon. It's hard to oppose anybody that might be in error, but it's especially hard to oppose a family member. He had to oppose not just his father, but he had to oppose the way that he might have been brought up. His whole way of thinking was being challenged. But obedience to the Word of God requires removing obstacles and sins immediately. And when people see our courage, it can change people. Because after all of this, it says in verse 30, Then the men of the city said to Joash, Bring out your son, that he may die, for he has torn down the altar of Baal, and indeed he has cut down the Asherah which was beside it. You see that Gideon was fearful, perhaps for a pretty good reason. He kind of knew what was going to happen if they found out who it was. And then look who comes to his defense. 
It's dear old dad. But Joash said to all who stood against him, Will you contend for Baal, or will you deliver him? Whoever will plead for him shall be put to death by morning. If he is a god, let him contend for himself, because someone has torn down his altar. He says, if Baal is a god, then let him take care of himself. Sometimes I, I think that you like to, to coddle people a little too much sometimes. We don't like to think about opposing them and saying some strong words perhaps from time to time. And we don't clean house as quickly as we would like to. And we're that compromised generation. And what you have here is a wonderful example of that. Whenever you oppose somebody, even if your own family, you have to oppose. Maybe they are the ones who are the first to listen. Maybe you have the most to gain by talking to them. Because we need men and women who will be willing to oppose the crowd, the community, and even their family if it means that they are serving and obeying God. Sometimes obedience and devotion to God means that we have to get rid of things that may be popular or may be normal to many people. Even if it's the way that things have always been done. If there are idols and if there is sin in our life, they need to be removed at whatever the cost. In the Gospel of Matthew, in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus talks about the seriousness of sin. In Matthew the 5th chapter, as Jesus is talking about lust and the temptation of lust and sexual immorality, adultery, in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 27, Jesus says, You have heard that it was said, You shall not commit adultery, but I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye makes you stumble, tear it out, and throw it from you. Now, he's not talking about mutilation here in a literal way, I don't feel like. But the point is, is that if there is something that causes you to sin, you need to do whatever you can to remove that temptation from your life. Because he goes on, for it is better for you to lose one of the parts of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. If your right hand makes you stumble, cut it off and throw it from you, for it is better for you to lose one of the parts of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. We need a clean house and it better start with us. We need to look within our own life. Then we learn a third lesson from Gideon that leaders learn to trust God, not numbers. The Midianites and the Amalekites, along with the sons of the east, came against Israel. In Judges chapter 6, it says in verse 33, Then all the Midianites and the Amalekites and the sons of the east assembled themselves, and they crossed over and camped in the valley of Jezreel. So the Spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon, and he blew a trumpet, 
and the Abyssalites were called together to follow him. He sent messengers throughout Manasseh, and they also were called together to follow him. And he sent messengers to Asher, Zebulun, and Naphtali, and they came up to meet them. So several of the tribes were joining forces with Gideon. And then you read about the sign of the fleece there at the end of chapter 6. And then God taught Gideon another lesson. This is not going to be a lesson of war. It's going to be a lesson about faith. Because you have 32,000 men ready for battle. And God is going to dwindle that number all the way down to a large number of 300 Faith is not about trusting in yourself, it's trusting in the power of God. Might, strength, and valor comes through trust and faith in what God is able to do. God tells Gideon that you have too many people, which I think had to have been some odd words whenever you have a battle that's about to happen. I have too many? Is there such a thing for war? Something had to be going through Gideon's mind at that point. So 22,000 people returned home. 10,000 remain. Okay, that's a, a third of what you started with. And God tells Gideon, that's still too many. Now we need to test these warriors. We need to weed out some more people. In Judges chapter 7 and verse 4, Then the Lord said to Gideon, The people are still too many. Bring them down to the water, and I will test them for you there. Therefore it shall be that he of whom I say to you, This one shall go with you, he shall go with you. But every one of whom I say to you, This one shall not go with you, he shall not go. So he brought the people down to the water, and the Lord said to Gideon, You shall separate everyone who laps the water with his tongue as a dog laps, as well as everyone who kneels to drink. Now the number of those who lapped, putting their hand to their mouth, was 300 men, but all the rest of the people kneeled to drink water. The Lord said to Gideon, I will deliver you with the 300 men who lapped and will give the Midianites into your hand. So let all the other people go, each man to his home. God was going to win the battle, not with 32,000, not with 10,000, but 300. With 300 men. Gideon learned a lesson. I think it's one that we all need to learn. That if God is fighting for us, numbers are trivial. Numbers are trivial. Sometimes we, when we are looking for a congregation to be a part of, we think of, I want to find a big church. Or I want to find a church that has a lot of programs. Or a lot of resources, financial resources. And if that's the measuring stick that we use for 
the church that we want to attend. And I would suggest to you we need a new measuring stick. We ought to want to be a part of a faithful church where the Lord is present in the lives of the people who are following Him, even if it's a few. And another wrinkle in the story of Gideon's army of 300 men is that in the middle of the night, Gideon, he awakes and he realizes now is the time to go. And so the soldiers, they take a pitcher, a lamp, a trumpet, and a sword. And they surround the camp of the Midianites. They blow the trumpet, smash the pitchers, and shout, a sword for the Lord and a sword for Gideon. And this just created all sorts of confusion in the camp of Israel's enemies, and they were able to then secure the victory in a very unusual way. And it's what the Hebrew writer was talking about in Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 34, that all these things that God was able to accomplish to these men and women of faith, that they quenched fire, the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, from weakness or made strong, became mighty in war, put foreign enemies to flight. It's exactly what happens in the story of Gideon. And God is capable of taking what appears to be weakness by our standards. By our standards, we'd say, yeah, let's go to war with 32,000 people. Even if we only need 1,000 really to secure the battle, let's take as many as we need, right? Not with God. God teaches us it's about faith. Trust in Him. Trust that He is able to deliver. That God is capable of using small numbers. God is capable of using men like Gideon who might be timid, who might be fearful, who might be trying to hide from the enemy, and he can turn him into a mighty warrior. If he can do that with Gideon, then what can he do with me and you? A fourth point that we learn in the story of Gideon is that leaders follow God and point others to God. And after Gideon's success in, in securing victory for Israel, he grew in popularity to the point that Israel was ready to make him a king. In Judges chapter 8 and in verse 22, it says, Then the men of Israel said to Gideon, Rule over us, both you and your son, also your son's son, for you have delivered us from the hand of Midian. But Gideon said to them, I will not rule over you, nor shall my son rule over you. The Lord shall rule over you. And only if that's where the story stopped because Gideon kind of skirts around that and messes some things up. <laughs> but while he was imperfect in what he practiced, his sentiment is spot on. Now while people are ready to make him king, he said, no, I'm not going to be your king. The Lord is going to rule over you. 
And that teaches us something about true godly leadership. Is that leaders themselves first must be followers. That they have to submit to God. They have to learn to follow the Lord. And then in their leadership, they are trying to point others to God. They're not trying to point people to themselves. And Gideon's sentiment was spot on. We need to allow the Lord to rule over our hearts and our lives. Godly leaders will follow God and they will point others to follow God. I'm reminded of what the Apostle Paul told Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 4. In 1 Timothy chapter 4 and in verse 12, Paul wrote to Timothy, he said, Let no one look down on your youthfulness but rather in speech, conduct, love, faith, and purity, show yourself an example of those who believe. He says, you need to be an example. That's what a leader is. It's someone who's going to be an example. They're going to lead in that area. They're going to put their life out on display. And then... As Paul continues on, at the end of that chapter, in verse 16, as he's talking about all these things that he needs to do, that Timothy does, he says, pay close attention to yourself and to your teaching. Persevere in these things, for as you do this, you will ensure salvation both for yourself and for those who hear you. Gideon needed to look at himself. And he wanted to encourage people to follow the Lord. He kind of stumbles here in chapter 8. But his sentiment was right. And anyone that is going to serve God, you need to look at your life. What message are you sending to others? Do people see your example? Do they see your life? And is it going to help save others? Will your example help save someone and lead them to know more about God? Because that's the ultimate goal. We want to teach others about God. We want to share the story of the Gospel of Jesus Christ with those who are lost, friends and neighbors, even members of the church. We need to be living out what we believe. We need to practice what we preach. We should all be striving to help others follow the Lord. We need to help encourage each other. We need to remind one another to stay on the straight and narrow path. Leaders are going to help one another because we are all following God. Those are some of the lessons I think that are important for us to recognize in the story of Gideon. Uh, the story of Gideon shows us the reasonableness of God. God wants you to believe in Him. He wants you to believe in Him and He wants you to obey Him. 
And He will show you that faith in Him is reasonable. That the evidence that God exists is before us. As we look at the world and His creation, we see that all of this must have been put together by some design. He supplies evidence. He supplies proof and power of His existence. The story of Gideon shows us that God can transform weakness into strength. Gideon went from ordinary to extraordinary. Israel had 300 men who defeated their enemy. And the story of Gideon shows us godly leadership. Leaders who overcome doubts and personal struggles and leaders who are willing to take bold stands for the truth and oppose anyone who is opposed to God. Leaders who trust God and not in strength of in their own wisdom and their own numbers. And leaders follow God and point others to following God. Tonight, if you're not following the Lord, then you need to begin to follow Him. And you need to begin today. Tonight, if you are not a Christian, we would encourage you to become a child of God before it's eternally too late. And if you are someone who has already obeyed the Gospel, but you've not been living faithfully for the Lord, and you need to make corrections of your life, we want to encourage you to do that today before it's too late so that you can be ready for the day of judgment. If we can help you in some way, would you come now as we stand and as we sing? Thank <laughs> you.